think the biggest um, mistake or misconception is that it's easy and it'll be quick. Mm. You're like, oh, that uh, how, how bad could it be to make a belt, right? Um, even just a single thickness bridal leather belt, you know, you're probably going to have about an hour and a half in it. Welcome to Nothing to Hide, the Morn Giles podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Calfee. Morn Giles is one of America's oldest leather companies. We were founded during the heart of the Great Depression, right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, in 1933. And almost 100 years later, our leadership is still in pursuit of one thing, the world's finest leather. Perhaps we've even touched your life. Maybe it was in a hotel lobby or your home. Or perhaps this morning when you went to get a cup of coffee, you found your favorite leather chair in the corner and you settled in. Well, that leather is probably more in Giles too. Our goal was simply just to share some stories within this podcast, to take you on a journey, to let you experience what we experience. We'll teach you how leather's made and give you insight into some of the subtle nuances of the material. Did you know it's one of man's oldest materials? We're also going to take you to meet some of our favorite people in the world, designers and creative influencers, and people that are connected to Moore and Giles through one thing, leather. We hope you'll join us on the Moore and Giles podcast, Nothing to Hide. Hey guys, today we're with Walton Smith, master craftsman here at Moore and Giles. We're actually in the leather workshop here in Virginia, and Lawton's going to walk us through a few tips and tricks. He's going to teach us a little bit about how he makes leather work the way he wants it to work. We're also going to hear a little bit about what it took for him to get here. Lawton, thanks for having me up in the workshop today. Thanks for coming out. The first thing that I want to establish is where are we? Well, it's pretty close to the center of the known universe. It's uh, no, it's a little spot out here in Madison Heights, and um, it's a uh, about a 50,000 or so square foot warehouse that we use to, uh, to receive um, leather, bundles of leather and things like that that we get in to uh, then distribute out to uh, other aspects of the business. But we've been able to carve out a little space here uh, for me to work a little magic. And we say little, it's about 1,500 square feet, give or take. Give or take, yeah. And it's got a lot of really interesting machines in addition to your leather working tools. So tell me a little bit about the machines that we're looking at. Um, well, again, the, I think the, the most key piece of equipment would be the, uh, the splitter. It's kind of basically a leather planer. So you can take a piece of leather that, you know, starts out really pretty thick and you can work it all the way down to be able to make little card slots of a wallet. And that's a important thing to note, right? Because hides come in at about what? 10 millimeters thick sometimes originally. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, they come in really pretty heavy. Um, you know, and then, you know, we can get them in. In whatever weight we like, you know, generally I think they're in the one to two millimeter range is usually the most workable, um, you know, kind of really good for upholstery grade stuff, really yeah. good for single leather, unlined bags, things yeah. like that. Um, but even that stuff has to be skived down or, as you said, plain so that mm -hmm. it can be used for like really fine details and things. Right. right? Yeah. If you were going to make an interior pocket out of the same leather that the outside of the bag is, um, yeah. you know, you'd want to work that down a little bit in thickness. So you have been a leather craftsman for how many years? Oh, um, well, I mean, it's funny. I'm about to come up on my on my half life with it. I, I started when I was 19, and I'll be 38 in February. So it's uh, almost half of my life has been been behind leather tools. And well, I know you get asked this all the time, but like, how did you get into this? Uh, it was it was kind of a funny little little circumstance. I my my dad was really good friends with a a really fine craftsman um, in Charlottesville. And uh, right out of high school, he was like, hey, you know, you need a job. What are you going to do? And 
I was like, well, uh, you know, he asked me if I, you know, if I knew anything about leather or if I liked it. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, it's pretty cool. I didn't know anything about it other than leather jackets and belts yeah. and stuff like that. But, uh, and, um, but I, so I interviewed with the guy and he was, he was really busy at the time. Um, wasn't able to take me on. So I, I killed some time doing some, um, doing some carpentry work that I was more familiar with at the time. I'd kind of grown up. My dad was a fine woodworker and that kind of thing. So, um, and uh, it just kind of, you know, so I killed time for that. And then once he was able to, you know, have a little window open up for me to come on board, he, uh, he took me in and, and the rest is history. You know, it all kind of started with repairs and things like that yeah. and trying to fix busted stuff that, you know, wasn't uh, yeah. that mission critical. If, if something else failed on it too, you know, you kind of cut your teeth that way and, yeah. and just start building your sensitivity is really the big thing. So this was about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, do you remember some of those first projects that you worked on? Yeah, I do. I see. I remember making the the first pair of full chaps. Uh, so the guy I was working for was big into the equestrian world and okay. uh, making full chaps and half chaps and things like that. And so my my first pair of full English riding chaps was was a bit of a was a bit of a feat for me for sure. Quickly thereafter, you know, it, I, I I really not I shouldn't say quickly because it did take a little while to build the sensitivity, but. Um, you know, it. Uh, I, I started just translating some of those skills into uh, mm. the smaller, finer goods, and you know, wallets and, and bags and things like that. And so, over time, it's just kind of developed. So, you've used the word sensitivity a couple times. What does that mean when it comes to working with leather? So, it's 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 really the sensitivity to the tools, how much pressure you need to apply. Um, also, every piece of leather is different. You know, even if it's the same type of leather, you know, shearling, for example. You know, every hide of shearling that comes in going to perform a little bit differently you know each each grain of leather is a little bit different and so um it takes a it takes a little while to build that up to to kind of feel what the leather's doing yeah. and also feel what you where you want it to go so we're using the word shearling that's sheepskin basically you and i are looking at shearling on the table right now this stuff is out of new zealand um you've recently just made an amazing weekend bag out of shearling you're working on some pillows now um, is there a difference in lambskin versus bovine or beef? Oh, certainly. I mean, every creature is a little bit different. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I've made a lot of things with, uh, so like alligator, ostrich, you know, exotics, and they all perform a little bit differently. They all behave a little bit differently. Um, their workability and then the end product, what, what its durability is like, you know, that's um, good. So at Moore and Giles, you know, all of our leather is a byproduct of the beef industry. When it comes to working with. Uh, a beef hide, right? They're really big as compared to some of those exotics that you worked with in the mm -hmm. past. What's one of the biggest challenges to working with like a large hide? Uh, well, space, having the elbow room to, uh, to sling it around. Uh, the, the cutting table that we're sitting at right now is um, six by eight. And really it could probably be another two or three feet longer. Um, but uh, it, it really takes a, a bit of space to be able to work with a whole hide. Um, a lot of times, smaller craftsmen, things like that, that are a little bit more space confined, will order half hides or double shoulders or something like that. So it's a little bit less expense, mm -hmm. you know, to, to buy the material to start out with. And then you also have a little bit more wiggle room, quite literally, to, uh, to, to maneuver. I know when you joined us about two years ago, we really needed a master craftsman. Um, we were doing all of our sampling at the factories. And not only was it expensive, but we didn't have as much control. Mm -hmm. So number one, we're super glad that you're here, but could you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do for us? 
Yeah, so obviously, like you said, the uh, the sampling and prototyping is, is a big component of what I do. It's uh, streamlining that process. Um, ultimately, I think hopefully to, to bring down the, the overall cost of things, you know, the every little bit con, you know, compounds. Um, as far as price goes, you know, if you if you want to tweak something and make one little change, it can really, you know, throw your price point way out the window, you know, yeah. just that little bit of attention. So, yeah, um, working out some of the kinks internally yeah. with uh, Thomas, our designer and sending the factory kind of a, an ultimately this is a this is the done thing. This is what we want to see in, yeah. at the end, kind of eliminate some of the uh, the back and forth and the headache. I think that's such a good point because. The ability for you and Thomas to work side by side on a weekly basis has, I think, even been a game changer for him. Previous to that, you know, he was designing things and then having to send them off to the factory and wait for it to come back. Mm -hmm. And now he just comes up here and like works it out with you in like real space, real time, yeah. like really here yeah. at the table. So. Yeah, troubleshooting on the fly. Yeah, um, I've always kind of liked that aspect of leather work. There's always a bit of you know keeping you on your toes, and as much as you know, there's always still more to learn. And then what you do learn, you know, just applying it to different things as, as they present themselves. It's a, it's really a nice challenge. So you worked in the equestrian world for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, how is that different from what we're doing now with bags and accessories? So I was in the equestrian world, but quickly trans transitioned to, uh, to, to the bags and accessories and watch bands and things like that. And so it's just, it's just been a, a work in progress ever since, you know. So good. As we talk about sampling, we talk about new projects, we talk about custom projects. Custom projects are a big part of what you do as well. We've done specialized menu covers for wineries and restaurants. Um, you've been working on prototyping for some of the NetJets projects, I believe, mm -hmm. and also some of the um, watch projects, like you just mentioned. We just did a piece for Jack Mason, like a custom watch holder. What else have you been working on that's really cool? Um, well, we've, we've kind of played around with some of the, um, the silhouettes, um, you know, kind of our classic silhouettes that we have, you know, the, the Benedict, the weekend bag, um, and some other totes, the, the, the Weldon kind of translating that into the mini Weldon. That was a really fun little endeavor. Um, but it's, um, I think just kind of, kind of playing around with some of the silhouettes and really just digging into the actual design see if there's little ways we can tweak it, mm. make it a little better. I yeah. think for folks that don't know what we're talking about with the Weldon to a mini Weldon, basically we had created a tote. It was called the Weldon tote. It was a large, um, mostly female tote. And Lawton took it and said, Lord, if we make a tiny version of it, almost like, honey, I shrunk the bag. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Quite literally. laughs> and uh, it's been awesome because it's a more personal bag that you can carry um, rather than like this giant work tote. Um, but it looks the same. It looks like you just shrunk it with like a laser ray or something. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat, and I think it's been it's been really well received, and and um, you know just kind of a, a fun, playful way to approach it. Ultimately, form a, a beautiful, beautiful heirloom piece. Which is always crazy, right? Because we always watch you start with basically a roll of leather, uh, some zippers, and some glue, <laughs> and it turns into something that lasts for generations. Um, when you are making a bag, what's going through your head? Oh man, there's a million different things. Uh, making sure you uh, you don't leave anything out, <laughs> don't don't skip any steps. Uh, make sure you do all your steps in the right order, because you know it's it's one of those things. It's all sequence, you know. And if you do one step out of order, you'd obviously have to remake that little piece, or you might have to remake the whole bag. Um, but uh, yeah, all your all your materials, making sure you all your you know you got all your zipper sliders, every little every little rivet, yeah. um, your thread color you know, yeah. the right size thread, all the, all those things. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, 
reaching out into the universe and trying to pull all these pieces together and then just have it have it come together and in a final product. So being on staff at Moore Giles full time with us, it's basically giving you access to the world's greatest library of leather. What is that like for you? And like, how do you pick like what leather am I going to use out of these five million square feet? Yeah, it's literally quite, uh, quite literally a, a kid in a candy store kind of thing. It's, um, you know, just the, the, the color spectrum that's there. And then also the types of hides, the, the type of tanning process that they go through, you know, they all perform a little bit differently as well for whatever the, the application is. And so being able to, to have that at your, at your fingertips is, 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 is a dream come true. And then playing with the, you know, the color combinations of the silhouettes, you know, like the, some of the one of a kind bags that we're doing right now is, is that, you know, just digging through the, uh, the archives and finding these really interesting hides and trying to trying to translate them to our to our existing silhouettes and take it to another level. Let's talk real quickly about the custom bags that you've been making for our one program. So, if you don't know, our one program uh, started out really at the beginning of the year as a desire for us to make like a really one of a kind, super special bag. Lawton and Sackett were going through the warehouse and they were finding leathers that were just beautiful and special, but we never never used on like a, a mass piece before what we did was we chose these leathers we picked out some silhouettes and then 2020 happened you know and the world fell apart and we felt like the best thing to do from a brand and a community standpoint would be like let's have these bags made and then let's make them benefit everyone so over the next several months what people are seeing from more giles is there's going to be one bag per month that comes out and you can buy into it for a $10 raffle ticket. Half of that money goes towards a charity and then we recoup the cost of making the bag because obviously it costs something to do that. It's a really cool program. It's called the One Program. It's morengiles.com backslash one if you haven't checked that out. But Lawton has made all of those bags by hand. So our first bag out of the gate was that Sherling Weekend bag, which was amazing. And then what do we got coming up? Um, I think the next one, I think that we did a little sneak peek and it's going to be the, the mini Weldon in a, uh, in a pretty interesting laser etched leather, um, that's, uh, that I'd never seen before. Kind of, kind of reminds me of a little bit of a pinstripe suit. So it has a little bit of, uh, kind of an understated elegance to it, yeah. which I really like. And straight lines have to be difficult when working with leather, right? Absolutely. And you see that like with, with suits, you know, and, and trying to get all the, yeah. all the geometry just right. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge. But. So we've got a few other totes coming up. We've got a scalloped hair on hide tote that's coming up at the, towards the end of this program. Yeah, uh, there's some, some etched hair on bags that are there that we're playing with. Yeah. Kind of a play on the, the city tote, I think is what that one is. That's right. And then, one of your pieces is going to be actually in collaboration with the local artist. So we're going to take that Weldon that you made, um, which is kind of a traditional women's tote, and she's going to paint on it. So we're going hand to paint some, it. Yeah, we got some custom hand painted pieces. It's really cool. But let's go back to the different types of leather really quick. So a lot of times you hear veg tan, and I know a lot of our listeners are probably like, "Well, what's veg tan?" Um, and then you hear chrome. What's the difference in that? So when we say veg tan, what we mean is a vegetable tannage was used to make that leather or to tan that hide. Um, you want to explain that just a little bit more? Well, yeah. So um, it's kind of actually in some ways similar to, to winemaking. You know, there's a lot of uh, natural tannins in fruits, vegetables, seeds, stems, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so there are natural enzymes that are used, that are extracted from that. They're able to help preserve um, the, the hide itself and, and have it last for 
all of eternity. <laughs> well, and in your previous world of saddle making, right, most of that stuff is veg tan, correct? Yeah, most of it is veg tan. Um, it's, it's really durable, but the other thing is it really patinas really well. Um, it takes on, it burnishes, it takes on hand oils, things like that. Yeah. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't detract from it. It really adds a lot of character to it. So a lot of the guys that are kind of in your world, right, of like crafting things or crafting leather, they'll use veg tan a lot. Why is that? Um, well, there it's, it's, it can be really workable. Um, but I think that the big thing is that it's, it's super durable mm -hmm. and usually it's really pretty pliable as well, despite its, its thickness. Mm -hmm. Uh, generally it's, it's on the thicker side. You, of course you can get it, you know, thinned down a little bit more if you were, if you were doing some like hand carved stuff and, you know, want to do a, a little applique on a bag of, of a hand carved section, you know, you yeah. wouldn't want a big chunking piece of leather on there kind of yeah. thing. But it, it just lends itself to a lot of different styles, whether it's hand carving and tooling and painting, it absorbs yeah. colors, um, it absorbs oils, but it's also just really durable. So on the other side of that is mineral tanning and mineral tanning is really comprised of chrome tanning. Traditionally it had been chrome six, it's now chrome three. So chromium three is actually natural in and of itself too. We actually find it in mushrooms, you find it in tomatoes, uh, you find it in seafood, like oysters and mussels, believe it or not. But chrome itself kind of had a bad uh, PR moment probably about 20 years ago or so. But the truth is that the chrome that we use today is completely safe. It's actually the same stuff that's found in our body, but it allows us to tan leather on a much larger scale. So it's more of a commercial tannage. Um, about 80% of the world's leather, I believe, is tanned with chrome now. Um, so that's a lot of what we use on the Moore Giles bags. Um, so talk about how working with that is a little bit different. I found it to be really useful. I mean, really durable as well, even though it's a different tanning process. Mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, it, it, it heals really well, right? Mm -hmm. Like things like pull-up leathers and, and scratches. Yeah, the waxes you know, so, and oils on right. top of those really help to like deal with scratches or use over a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, how do you handle it being a little bit more stretchy than... Veg tan. That's a bit of a trick in in especially in the bag making if you're going to make something like a tote because if you're going to you know people have a tendency to load up their bags right and so if you're going to load it up and this thing just distorts right out of the gate it's it's it, yeah. it's not necessarily all that attractive so figuring out a way to kind of mitigate some of that um, either with materials that you might apply to the back of the leather to to prevent stretching yeah. but also. Um, how you choose to line the bag if the bag is going to be lined um, there's other you know supports and things like that that you can that you can lean on to uh, to kind of soften some of that to kind of keep it from is it easier to sew um, it is pretty easy to sew yeah it's, it's pretty easy to work with um, however um, the the leathers with the higher oil contents um, things like the the rubber cement the glues that that I use predominantly um, sometimes will the, the thinner that you use and, and that kind of thing, it, it sometimes takes a little extra time for it to, to blow off and dry. So there's yeah. a couple of little, little quirks that you have to work through with that. But generally, it's, um, it's really, really awesome to work with. So you're making all of our sampling now. You're doing custom bags. Is there anything that you're playing around with in addition to that that you just love right now? Um, yeah, well, we've done, let's see, I've played around with um, making a, a set of leather dice um some leather dominoes things like that out of a really thick like monster thick veg tan stuff that uh single thickness and it's about the same thickness as a, as a normal die wow. um which is which is pretty wild um so that that's fun and i think just just the um 
the overall approach and, and being able to like throw something against the wall and be like, man, I've never even thought about yeah. doing something like that. But now with the leathers that I have at my disposal and, and just some of the creative ideas and I'm bouncing off of folks like Thomas and you and, and Trey and, yeah. and all those guys, um, it's, it's been, it's been really awesome to, to collaborate on that. All right. So let's get to the meat of this conversation because I know people out there listening and they know, okay, we've got a master craftsman on the other side of the table. There's some questions that they want to ask. So the first one is what are common mistakes that people make early on as a leather craftsman? I think the biggest um, mistake or misconception is that it's easy and it'll be quick. Mm. You're like, oh, that uh, how, how bad could it be to make a belt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even just a single thickness bridal leather belt, you know, you're probably going to have about an hour and a half in it. Um, and there's a bunch of little quirky math that goes into it with making sure the, the, it's the, the, the length of the buckle is right and the, the, the strap's actually going to fit through and yeah. the size of the holes and all that kind of stuff. It all plays into it. And then there's like quirky belt buckle styles, um, some oddball stuff. So then you might have to you know re- reconfigure your approach. But um, even something like a set of handles or whatever, you know, can you replace a handle on a bag? And you're like, yeah, I can, but it's probably going to take about half a day to do, you know, because you, it's easier to build something from the ground up than it is to take a carcass of something, strip it all the way down and, and build it back because yeah. then you're working within yeah. the constraints of that. And so yeah. the misconception is that, oh, it'll be easier if I, if you kind of have half of the work done already. And you're like, actually, it's going to end up being twice the work, you yeah. know, so. Um, just some of those little things. Um, and, and I think it's a really good point too that um, we didn't talk about, but you do all of our repairs too. So one of the things about a Moore and Giles bag is that it's guaranteed for life. And so if someone sends us back their bag, it's you know got a rip or tear, the handles are fraying or whatever, mm-hmm. we do that for free. And we don't really talk about that too much, but you're the guy that does all of those repairs now. Yeah, well, so kind of in collaboration with the factory still, too. We do still still send some down to the factory to, uh, to get repaired. But for the most part, you know, it doesn't make sense to send it all the way down to the factory to replace a rivet or something if a rivet pops out or, or whatever. So I can I can turn that around no time. That's that's not a problem. Um, so really streamlining that process has been a huge asset, I think, um, to, to, to Moore and Giles. Um, uh, talk about the repairs real quick. What are you seeing come back in? Well, a lot of times it's um, something like where you've stitched a piece of leather over a zipper, like say a zipper compartment from a commuter bag or something. Yeah. So if you if you have a commuter bag that you're a little bit rough on and, and just using it a lot, even not even if you're necessarily that rough, it's just day in, day out use. Um, you know, you, that that stitch where that goes across that metal tooth zipper, it's a little bit more likely to, to get cut and start to unravel. So something like that. And if you catch it early that's the best time, you know, because before the whole thing just starts coming apart, um, being able to being able to repair that and yeah. kind of get out ahead of the curve and still instead of waiting until it's totally blown out. And then you're like, oh, man, it's going to be you know twice yeah. as much work as it would have been otherwise. So what I heard you say was the leather's not failing. It's the the element that you're adding to that or the mechanical part of the zipper. That yeah. Really and I mean, we use YKK zippers, which are industry standard, which are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but like with anything that you use, yeah. I mean, there's going to be wear and tear, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little machine, right? And yeah. Machines break over time. Exactly. I mean, so. you know, you can have a set of tires that are supposed to go 60,000 miles and go out in the parking lot and do a burnout and, and they're bald, yeah, you know. Exactly. So it's like it all just depends on on how you use them. So when know, it comes so. to the leather, though, 
are you seeing the leather fail or are you seeing the leather just kind of wear in and get better and it's usually a seam or a handle or a stitch or something that's coming apart exactly yeah i mean the the leather itself is is really not that prone to fail um unless you know you really tear it or cut it or something like that um you know living skin will heal but you know tan skin you know it, it's it, it, it doesn't point. exactly heal itself you know so but yeah the, the leather really holds up really well and i don't want to say like oh the hardware just fails you know blame it all on the hardware yeah. but um it's just one of those things that as you over time weight and pressure and yeah. abuse gets transferred into different areas of the bag and um, i think that's just you know it's all part and parcel with uh with use Talk about the details, because that's what makes a Moore & Giles product more expensive than another. So a lot of times we get feedback of like, oh man, you know, why is that bag so expensive? Well, the truth is, is not only is it the finest leather in the world, and there's a rarity to that, so the material costs expensive, but all the little details that we put into our product, like push it over the edge. So can you compare and contrast really quick, um, like why our briefcase might be $800 and somebody else's briefcase might be $300. Yeah, I think uh, like you're saying the, the the overall material costs as well, but also the uh, the amount of time and effort that's put into the engineering, um, the thoughtfulness of the layout of the components, the com you know, the compartments, um, all those kind of things really add up. Um, and and just the uh, the the mitigations like, you know, if you if you're going to make a, a a computer laptop bag, it's got to have padding in it. It's got to have all the all the little bits and to have it really come together. So a lot of it comes into the, the details as far as capped edges or rolled edges, whether it was skived, whether you just slapped it over and just stitched it or you actually gave it that extra step or even that extra five steps. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes if you wanna you know, do a, a capped edge or something, then that's another component to cut, it's another component to split, mm -hmm. it's another component to dye the edge of mm. it's another component to attach to the bag the stitch to so the up and down of the off on and off yeah. the machine so all that really kind of you know compounds out into into just time 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 and so if you it, there's that extra little bit of detail that you give in any one aspect of the bag really starts to add up so i think there's a truth to our product like we make every bag by hand whether it's you in the beginning stages or it's our factories they're all made by hand and they're all made in small runs. So mm -hmm. most of our bag lines are run in groups of 50. So every bag is touched multiple times, um, not only in the beginning stages, but throughout the process, like not just one person will work on these bags. Um, I was just down there last September uh, to meet the folks and to kind of talk with their, their product development and um, kind of make sure we were speaking the same pattern language and that yeah, kind of thing yeah. as we, as we were going to, start to uh, collaborate on on um, on the on the prototyping and sampling processes and and things like that and so it's um for me I, my own, my own exposure has just been like I, I do it from start to finish mm -hmm. and there's I find a huge value and fulfillment in that um, but in order to do something on a scale like I can't make 50 backpacks in any sort of reasonable time yeah. you know that that I mean you know that they just be kind of unattainable for the average person. Yeah. So I think uh, there's a bit of a balance to be struck there between mm. the, the single made single person, you know, uh, bag all the way, all the way to, uh, you know, more automated type thing. There's a bit of a spectrum there. Yeah. And, and we're so, somewhere right in the middle, right? Where absolutely we're doing the sampling here in Virginia by 
with you by hand. It's moving to one of our, what, six or seven factories at this point that we have. And mm-hmm. um, they're all like really small run factories. Um, usually they're family owned and have been for generations. But even in those processes, even though there's multiple components touched by multiple people, it's all, to your point, done by hand. So exactly. it's really not an automated process at all. Um, if anything, it's probably <laughs> too too time consuming, right? We could probably do better if we figured out a way to automate, <laughs> automate it even more. You know? Well, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good hybrid. It's a yeah. good, it's a good compromise between still having that handmade attention to detail yeah. while still trying to get it into a more of a, a production kind of price point. Yeah. That's um, a great point because yeah, if we don't do that, you're looking at a $3,000 bag. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, as honest and real as that is, it's to your point, not attainable for the average person. So, all right. So we've talked about the mistake that a young leather worker might make when they first get started. Hey, this is going to be fast. It's going to be easy. Um, But give us a little bit of a secret that you learned early on that you like, you can share that's like, Hey, if you learn this, like it'll help you 10 X your, your working skill. I don't know. That, that's a pretty tricky one because there's so many little things that that add up to get you to to the uh, to the ability level of where you want to be comfortably and and productively. You know, yeah. hmm. I, I would say. I mean, just one of the biggest things is just being as familiar as you can be with your tools. Mm. Um, you know, because one slip of the knife, you're starting over. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, one overstitch on the sewing machine and you got a hole where you absolutely can't have it, then you're starting over, you know. Um, Is there a secret on the sewing machine specifically in getting your stitches so straight? That's a, that's kind of a tricky one too. I mean, with my, with my exposure, my experience, um, having the sewing machine set at a really slow stitching speed, um, is pretty much always where I've kind of operated. Obviously these things can stitch a mile a minute and uh and so finding a finding a real good comfort zone with that where you can feel like you're in control it's not going to get away from you too too quickly but also where you're not just chunking along one tiny little stitch at a time you got to find a little sweet spot um but yeah it's it's just having having your machine set up all your tensions right yeah you know, all that kind of stuff and, and staying up on the maintenance. All right. So one more secret question. Yeah. When you're crafting a bag, mm-hmm. give me a secret on like how you're getting like, is it like a puzzle where you got to work from the corners in? Is there a moment where like there's this one little space where you're like, OK, you've got to do this one stitch or this one scene that comes together? Um, give us like just a little bit of a secret there. One of the more like kind of hat trick um things that i've come across is more like when you're when you're doing a small like say a cosmetic bag and and you want it lined with a fabric um so it's already kind of hard to get onto a sewing machine anyway um and everything has to be kind of a turned inverted kind of seam um you have to stitch it in a way to where you you kind of you pop it through the the side of of the bag so you know it's it's like it's kind of hard to imagine to explain it, but you know, like a, the, a shirt sleeve, if you were going to invert a shirt sleeve, you know, and, and the, all the seams on that, it kind of has to pop through this one weird little hole in order for it to all turn out the way you want it to. And, and then and, you just turn it inside out. And it's yeah, like, you turn it inside out and there it is, you know, but when you're putting it together, it's yeah. hard to imagine like, okay, this has to tuck here, this has to tuck there. 
and then this has to get stitched and then it has to untuck there or something. It's uh that's crazy. It's really pretty convoluted, but it's um that's probably one of the hardest things is is seeing the bigger picture mm. and keeping your eye on that and and not getting obviously keeping your eye on the details but not getting lost in the detail where you 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 kind of lose focus on on what the the end goal needs to be so um all right so i know a lot of people are gonna have questions on tools first of all do you have a tool in the workshop that you use all the time yes uh one would be my glue pot okay your glue pot <laughs> yeah and the glue pot that's okay. that and what's something, in that glue pot yeah so it's like a rubber cement um it's a uh, commercial grade, like kind of a, a cobbler's, like a shoe goo, if you will, uh -huh. a rubber cement. Um, Do you have a specific brand or name yeah, for I it? I use uh, Masters. Okay. Um, it's what I've always used and what I, what I just know to be reliable. There's other stuff out there, barge and that kind of thing. Um, very similar product. Mm -hmm. um, when working with that, you got to have good ventilation. Um, and that's one of the drawbacks to it, unfortunately. And there are some other really great... Uh, water-based adhesives and, and things like that that are a little bit more natural. Um, I've just had a lot more exposure and, and success with uh, this rubber cement. So I always kind of tend to lean toward that. There are applications where you can use a uh, double-sided tape um, when you just want to hold something real quick while you stitch it. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, I like to glue things because I don't, I don't want it to move on me and have it start to come apart yeah. while I'm trying to stitch it on the So for chain. clarification, you use that glue to really hold the pieces in place while you're stitching. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, the other main tool would be uh, your round knife okay. uh, for all your, your finer skiving. Um, there, there are several different types of skiving knives. I use a round knife predominantly, uh -huh. uh, but when you need to get into a small corner of a little area and remove a little bit of material where yeah. say two, two rolled, rolled edges overlap mm -hmm. and come together and you want to kind of reduce some of that bulk mm -hmm. so that the seam isn't quite so chunky. Um, and that's called a round knife. Yeah, there's a round, yeah, a round knife. Um, and that's, that's probably something that I would, I use just about every day. So I'm looking over your shoulder at these two beautiful wood workbenches and they are loaded with tools, but it's super neat. Like, so just so you guys get a picture, Lawton is probably the neatest craftsman you've ever been around. Like everything has a place. Everything's in perfect position. He's shaking his head because he <laughs> thinks it's not, but it's so organized. But I see um, three groups of master tools as they're labeled and they're curved knives is that a round knife so they're actually punch sets um generally used for belts um so it's english point punches um half round punch for the end of your your tab that folds over to hold got your it, buckle on it. and then also a set of uh what are called bag punches so that's like the slot punch you know where yeah. the tongue of the buckle comes through um so having a few of those little tools like that can really kind of speed up your process and just one shot, boom, you got a nice symmetrical point punched on versus tracing something and having it be asymmetrical in the end. Um, Is there any tool on that bench that you're, you would be almost embarrassed to tell somebody that's on the bench, but that you use all the time? Um, well, let me see, let me turn around here. Um, Is it the hairdryer? Yeah, probably the probably the hair dryer <laughs> or the uh, the beard trimmer. Yeah, uh, so for the the shearling bag that you did a couple of weeks ago, you literally used a beard trimmer to thin down the the wool so that you could attach the handles, right? Yeah, attach the handles, the uh, the seam at the bottom, any any kind of any kind of seam of it. It's a uh, it's really pretty bulk. I think this is about a sixteen millimeter pile you know, pill hair or hair. Um, 
And so it's it's really pretty yeah. pretty bulky. And so you know you you put two of those panels together, and your seam is going to be pretty chunky. So yeah, I've gotten a crash course in uh, cosmetology uh, well, with, with this project for sure. I think what's so funny about this is that you are a master craftsman, and you had basically put together the whole bag, and you're like, now I've got to shear the space to put these handles on, and if I screw that up, I got to start all over. Yeah, again. you're done. So, you are done if you. If you slip with the, uh, the 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 clippers, or you know, in in gluing the handles into place, you know, one little wisp of that glue gets into the hair, and you got this this glue dread going on, and it's just it's a nightmare. You know, great so, point. So, Things that nobody thinks about, right? Yeah. Like the fact that you completed this shearling bag with such perfection the first time, right? It, it was, was the, the first, first time. It was right? the first one I've ever made. Yeah, it's actually the only. The, it's only the second Benedict bag I've made wow. since starting with uh, with you guys and. Uh, and so it's 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 been a it's been a real trial by fire with that one for sure. I'm I'm glad it came out as well as it did. I was I was really relieved, <laughs> quite honestly. Me too, because it's actually raising quite a bit of money for the Lynchburg Daily Bread, which is awesome. So thank you. All right. Absolutely. So last question on tools. Um, people are going to ask, where's your favorite go-to spot to get tools? Do you have one? Yeah. Well, there's several. Um, depending if it's hand tools or more. Um, machinery and things like that um some really great resources that i've utilized over the years have been weaver okay. it's really classic really well known um but probably not to everybody especially if you're just getting into it but weaver um tandy is another really good resource um that especially if you're just getting into it they have a lot of um entry level tools things like that you know because it can be a huge outlay yeah, so I think people when they when they first get into leather work, you know, they'll, they'll get a couple tools, and and really you can actually do a pretty good bit with a, a pretty simple tool setup. Uh, I certainly don't want to discourage anybody from that, but as you start to get more into it, you want to get better quality tools, a wider array of tools, so you can do more things. You start to realize how expensive it is. So I think finding a good medium between finding the tools that you that you need for what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And at a price point that's that yeah. that is is a little bit more attainable, especially if you're you know just kind of starting to scratch the surface. So Tandy and Weaver, Tandy are your and Weaver um, are are really good starting points. And then there's um, a company uh, Campbell Randall um, for heavy machinery, like the splitter, yeah. like sewing machines. They're based out of Texas, okay, and they're they're phenomenal. Their customer service is fantastic, um, and just they they have everything under the sun if you are just getting into it or if you are want to open up a full production shop i mean they can they, you know they're, they're fully set up to, to outfit that what's your email address if someone wants to ask you questions on how to set up their shop yes yeah, so my email address is lawton l-a-w-t-o-n mm-hmm. at moreandgiles.com okay cool well thanks for having me up in the shop today uh, a couple things real quick if you want to see more of lawton's work Check out morengiles.com backslash one. And those are going to be all of the one-of-a-kind bags that he personally has made. And so we're pretty proud and excited about that. Um, the other thing is, is that if you've got a repair, if you've got uh, a bag that needs a little bit of love to it, that's a Moore Giles bag, again, we guarantee that bag for life. Um, send it to us and through go through customer care, of course. And Lawton's going to probably be the guy that ends up fixing it if it's major damage. So... Um, know that it, it is in good hands. And again, if you've got any questions about your shop or leather working, um, Lawton, that give us that email address one more time. Yes, yeah, Lawton at morengiles.com. And that's Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N at morengiles.com. Thanks again, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime.